the History Channel original podcast. Anyone can win the NBA lottery. Well, not everyone. Your team has to miss the playoffs the season before. The worse your team is, the better their odds. And this year, with a 14% chance of winning, the San Antonio Spurs pulled the winning ball. Literally five minutes ago, I just jumped on my mic. So the Spurs have the first pick in the draft. And unless something unprecedented happens, they're going to pick a French basketball phenom, Victor Wembanyama. He can dribble, he can shoot, but he can spin. He's so coordinated. We've literally never seen a player at his size have his skills. But Wemby isn't the first hyped up prospect. Today, we're going to look back at the history of the lottery and how teams did whatever it took to draft some of the most electric prospects. The Rockets tanking to get Hakeem Olajuwon. The conspiracy theory behind the Knicks drafting Patrick Ewing. And of course, the insane hype leading up to the 3 lottery, where the winning team would draft LeBron James. Sports history this week, May 16th, 2023, the NBA Draft Lottery. I'm Kaylin Jones. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Every year, the teams in the NBA take turns drafting some of the best young basketball players from around the globe. Many of the players drafted won't start in a single NBA game. But hey... The guy that your favorite team just drafted, he might become the next Michael Jordan. And that's why so many people love the NBA draft. It represents hope. Here's Dave Zero, basketball journalist and author of NBA 75. My friends and, and family just give me all the time. Legitimately, my favorite sporting event of the year is the draft. And like the draft lottery is a close second. The NBA draft lottery is an event that typically carries a lot less fanfare than the draft itself. The lottery is a drawing that determines the order of the top half of the NBA draft. No players are selected during it. Instead, it's the day when NBA team executives get together in a room, rub their favorite good luck charms, and pray to the basketball gods that their team will win the lottery. And what do they win? The first pick at the upcoming NBA draft. It's really like one day that, that changes the entire face of the league for at least a decade to come, if not longer. It's just wild to think of how much is at stake. It'll make or break your fortunes as an NBA team. And you don't know whether it's made you or broken you until years down the line. The NBA has been doing this lottery in some form or another for several decades now. In the 1950s and 60s, it's a very different system. 
they picked players based on territory, so based on where you played your college ball. That would determine which team you went to, and that's how the league was shaped uh, wow. for, for the first uh, 20 years. What if, like, let's say New York has, like, all the best basketball players, so, like, the Knicks would be able to take the best players? Like, how would that work? It would work exactly like that. Uh, an example is uh, Will Chamberlain. He came to the NBA and he was on Philadelphia because they held his territorial rights from when he was younger. That's uh, so yeah, that's how, that's how guys landed on teams. It's quite the system. Here's how territorial picks work. Each team has the right to give up their first round pick and instead just select any player they want within a 50 mile radius. It's the NBA's attempt to drum up excitement among their local fan bases. Some major superstars are selected this way. Hall of Famers like Chamberlain and Oscar Robertson. Teams in big markets get first dibs on big players just because they go to high school or college nearby. This isn't really fair either. So in 1966, the NBA comes up with a new solution, a coin flip. Instead of territorial picks, the NBA holds an annual coin flip between the two worst teams in the league, with the winner getting the first pick of the draft. They started uh, handing the top pick to the worst teams, you know, and then all of a sudden, eventually you have a league, uh, on paper at least, where every team has at least one or two big stars. So when they travel around the country, fans will want to come and see them because every team will have a marquee player of some kind. Of course, there's a problem with this solution too. The worst teams are rewarded for being bad. You probably already know what this is called, tanking. Here's Jake Fisher, senior NBA writer for Yahoo Sports and author of Built to Lose, how the NBA's tanking era changed the league forever. You literally wrote the book on tanking. Yeah. So for our audience, what is tanking in the NBA? Tanking in the NBA is when teams intentionally lose games in order to increase their odds in the annual NBA draft lottery to get the number one pick in the NBA draft. Intentionally losing sounds pretty easy, right? Just tell your players to play horribly and miss all their shots. No, you can't do that. Imagine your boss telling you to do your job worse for the good of the company. But that's the position NBA players on tanking teams essentially find themselves in. And of course, the players want to play the best they can. They're out there trying to win games and to get their next paycheck. So there's a really fascinating clash of motivations between front office and the day-to-day basketball team. And I think it goes not exactly as most teams plan to go because of all those unforeseen variables. Instead, tanking usually happens at the organizational level. The general manager might put together a roster of really inexperienced players. Or maybe the team will tell an injured star, hey, I know we said that sprained ankle was only a three-week injury, but why don't you take a couple of extra months and rest up? But however they execute their tanking, these teams are not trying their best to win which is the opposite of what a competitive league is supposed to look like. You can't fault teams for doing it, but you also understand why the league has tried as best they can to dissuade teams from going full tank. Some teams actually get punished by the league for tanking too obviously. During the final week of this season in 2023, the Dallas Mavericks were fined $750,000 for benching their best players on the last day of the season to try to get better odds in the lottery. 
But historically, when the year's top prospect is good enough, it's worth the gamble. In 1983, the Houston Rockets come in last place in the NBA, winning just 14 games. And the prize for their incompetence? A ticket to the coin flip sweepstakes. They win the toss, giving them the first pick to draft a star named Ralph Sampson. Sampson has a great rookie season, averaging 21 points and 11 rebounds, but it's not quite enough to lift the Rockets into true title contention. The team feels that it needs a second star, and it just so happens there's another franchise-altering big man a mere 10-minute drive from their arena at the University of Houston, Hakeem Elijahwan. The Houston Rockets saw this local college kid just leading Houston to championships and seemed like he'd be a guaranteed bridge to at least having a shot at the NBA championship. So the Rockets decide to stink again for a second straight year. And it's not just the Rockets who are thinking this way. Clippers owner Donald Sterling is actually quoted as saying, we've got to bite the bullet. We can win by losing. There was a grand prize that year and teams were were not shy about going after it. The Rockets tank hard, losing 14 of their final 17 games. By the end of the year, they're not even trying to hide what they're doing. They play 38-year-old Elvin Hayes, who's on his last legs, days away from retirement for 53 minutes during an overtime loss. The Rockets are clearly losing on purpose. Coaches and executives around the league are disgusted. The GM of the 76ers says that league officials are, quote, beside themselves with anger and frustration. But the Rockets don't care. They believe the 1984 draft class is worth it. Names like Hakeem Olajuwon, Michael Jordan, Charles Barkley, John Stockton. I mean, players you can build your team around and build your entire identity around. And the kind of players that don't come along often. Ultimately, the Rockets win the race to the bottom and another coin flip, drafting Olajuwon with the first overall pick to pair with Ralph Sampson. All of a sudden, they had the Twin Towers entering the 85 season, and I think the rest of the NBA just said, you know, hold up, hold up, like, what just happened? The year after Elijah won, 1985's can't-miss prospect is Patrick Ewing, an incredibly talented seven-footer who leads Georgetown to three NCAA championship appearances and the national title. And now, under the leadership of Commissioner David Stern, no more coin flips. Instead, for the first time, every team that missed the playoffs the previous year, at this point, seven teams in total, will have an equal shot at the top pick. The plan? The NBA will write team names on pieces of paper inside seven identical envelopes. Then those envelopes will be placed inside a large, clear drum. And this is where things get controversial. One of the great things about the lottery is it breeds conspiracy theories. You know, like any lottery, like uh, there's questions of, is it rigged? Is it legitimate? And certainly the very first lottery was not exempt to that. It's May 12th, 1985. The New York Knicks are coming off their worst season in 20 years. At the same time, the NBA's $91 million TV contract with CBS is about to expire. And because New York City is the league's biggest media market, the NBA makes way more money when the Knicks are good. So, as the conspiracy theorists would have you believe, the NBA stakeholders have every reason to want Patrick Ewing to end up on the Knicks. Or, 
as Sports Illustrated puts it, Patrick Ewing in Sacramento does not move the TV needle. On the day of the 1985 NBA lottery, a representative from the league's accounting firm places those seven envelopes inside a clear glass drum. Six of the envelopes he places into the drum very neatly. But one of the envelopes clanks off a metal rod inside the drum. And if you watch this online, you can clearly see that the envelope gets a slight bend in one corner. Moments later, Commissioner David Stern reaches in to pull the winning envelope out of the drum. And he ends up picking the one with the bent corner. And that envelope belongs to the New York Knicks. Maybe it really was luck of the draw. Or maybe Stern knew to look for a bent corner. Or maybe it was the result of an even more popular conspiracy theory. The notion that one of the envelopes was frozen, and that's how David Stern knew it was the one he was supposed to select. That frozen envelope. Like frozen as in like ice? As in cold, cold to the touch. So you can imagine you're reaching your hand into this drum, and you would know that one of them is freezing cold compared to the others. Regardless of how it happens, whether the envelope was bent or chilled, the New York Knicks end up with Patrick Ewing, who goes on to be an 11-time All-Star and turns the Knicks into contenders, all because of the lottery. In the years following Frozen Envelope Gate, the NBA makes a series of tweaks to the lottery. They start using ping-pong balls instead of envelopes. They also adjust the mathematical odds so that the worst teams have a better shot to land the top pick than the simply mediocre ones. The one thing that never changes? A steady stream of tank-worthy prospects that cause teams to jockey for the best possible draft position. Shaquille O'Neal, for example. He's drafted by a terrible Orlando Magic team in 1992. And within a couple seasons, Shaq leads the Magic all the way to the NBA Finals. In 1997, the San Antonio Spurs are one of the most consistently successful teams in the NBA, coming off seven consecutive playoff appearances. But when their former MVP center David Robinson breaks his left foot, they don't even try to keep contending without him. Instead, the Spurs go from 59 wins the year before all the way down to 20 wins in 97. The Spurs tank for Tim Duncan in 97, and they immediately win the championship in 1999 with David Robinson and Tim Duncan. Tim Duncan eventually leads the Spurs to five championships over the next two decades. Not a bad trade-off for one tank season. Even in the world of number one picks, guys like Ewing, Shaq, and Duncan are pretty rare. Because while top picks can turn into clear-cut Hall of Famers, a surprising number of them don't. What's fascinating about the can't-miss guys is that uh, sometimes we get it wrong. Greg Oden, was he a can't-miss prospect? Was Derrick Rose a can't-miss prospect? Was Yao Ming a can't-miss prospect? All three of those examples, Oden, Rose, and Yao, are players that were taken first overall. And while everyone agrees they're insanely talented players, bad injury luck is a major reason they didn't have an impact like Tim Duncan did. Or, as ESPN draft contributor Jeremy Wu puts it, It's just really, really hard to predict. You don't know what's going to happen. So it's just kind of impossible to necessarily say there's like a reason why everybody succeeds or fails. But that's all part of the game of tanking. It's a huge risk. Having a bad team can mean lower ticket sales and hurt the team's revenue. 
tanking also has the potential to alienate a fan base that wants to see their team win. And that can be a tough pill to swallow, especially when there's no guarantee that landing a top pick will even necessarily turn your team around. But once in a while, once in a generation, a prospect comes along that seems to transcend that risk. Someone who's so good that it feels like you can't hype him up enough. Someone so good that NBA executives start making moves to draft him while he's still a sophomore in high school. And that's the story of a young man from Akron, Ohio, named LeBron Ramon James. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. As someone who watched the hype train up close and personal, when did the LeBron James hype really start? Well, keeping in mind that this was a different era and that high school basketball stars didn't have hundreds of thousands or millions of social media followers, sort of old school media, um, the hype train started nationally when he was on the cover of Sports Illustrated. That's Brian Windhorse, an NBA reporter for ESPN and the best-selling author of several books about LeBron James, including LeBron Inc., The Making of a Billion Dollar Athlete. And not only that, being on the cover of Sports Illustrated, but being on the cover of Sports Illustrated with the tagline, the chosen one, at about the same time that Michael Jordan was exiting, like this is the the heir apparent. Even though it wasn't a straight line, those factors played a major role in making him a name as a teenager across the country. In the summer of 2001, LeBron, just 16 years old, goes to the ABCD camp, an elite basketball clinic where players like Kobe Bryant and Kevin Garnett went when they were teenagers. It's a camp meant for the best of the best high school players in the country. And what does LeBron do? He dominated that camp that was meant for rising seniors as a rising sophomore. One of the columnists for the New York Times that week wrote, and I think accurately, that had LeBron been allowed, LeBron would have been the number one pick in the draft at age 16. Not at age 18, but at age 16. And the LeBron hype train is just getting started. In 2002, ESPN decides to broadcast one of his high school games nationally. The games are billed as the top high school junior in the country, LeBron, against the top high school senior, future NBA superstar Carmelo Anthony. He made $50 million just on his shoe deal the night he played on national television against Oak Hill Academy. Because when his highlights became a national situation and were running on ESPN and people knew who he was, the bidding war got crazy and he ended up signing for $87 million. ESPN starts broadcasting his games regularly, 
LeBron's high school, St. Vincent St. Mary, goes on a national tour, playing in major arenas across the country. That year, the Cavs won 17 games. They were averaging about 11 or 12,000 at their arena. LeBron played a high school state playoff game at the arena, which was then called Gund Arena, and sold out 20,000 seats. So he was effectively drawing more than the local NBA team. And no one wants LeBron more than the fans in Cleveland, just an hour away from LeBron's hometown of Akron, Ohio. The last night of the year, the Cavs won and reached a tie for the worst record with the Denver Nuggets, thereby reducing their chances of winning the first pick from 25% to 22%. They effectively, because they tied, lowered their chances of getting LeBron by 3%. And the fans booed, booed the win. On May 22, 2003, all eyes are on the NBA lottery, a.k.a. the LeBron sweepstakes. The lottery, while it was a big thing, had typically been a sideshow in the NBA calendar. They would do it at halftime of a playoff game, literally a, a five or six minute show. They would show who won the lottery. The teams who won would be excited and they would move back for the second half. Not this year. In 2003, the NBA lottery gets its own half-hour televised special in primetime. The bottom 13 teams from the previous season each send one person to represent them at the lottery. It's a room filled with heavy hitters, team owners and general managers, current and former NBA stars, from Vince Carter to Elgin Baylor to Jerry West, each sitting at their own podiums. They smile for the camera when they're introduced by host Mike Tirico, but the banter is minimal. The NBA may have changed from envelopes to ping pong balls, but the stakes are still the same. A few lucky bounces could massively transform the future of their team. Again, here's Jake Fisher, who has personally attended several NBA lotteries in his career. There's definitely a tension in the air. You know, annual revenue streams and even executives' jobs are on the line. These guys are making eight, nine million dollars. They bring in these stupid, silly, lucky charms, and they hope that it, it brings them some type of good fortune. And the basketball gods bless them, and you know things will work out. Representing the Cleveland Cavaliers at the lottery is team owner Gordon Gund, who is at this stage in his life sadly going blind due to a genetic disorder called retinitis pigmentosa. One of his top executives noticed how nervous he was before the, the broadcast started. And he was trying to calm him down. And he said to him, Gordon, I mean, this is not the cure for blindness. I mean, he was trying to put things into perspective. You know, this is not life and death. And, and Gordon, who was a famously low-key man, looked at him and said, it's pretty damn close. NBA Deputy Commissioner Russ Granick takes his place behind the podium and starts dramatically reading off the teams in descending draft order from 13 to one. One by one, teams find out that they've been eliminated from the LeBron sweepstakes. Finally, only two envelopes remain, the Cleveland Cavaliers and the Memphis Grizzlies. They were five minutes away from finding out whether they got LeBron James or they got nothing. The deputy commissioner announces the second to last pick for the Grizzlies, which means the Cavs 
have the number one pick. Cavs owner Gordon Gunn pops out of his chair, a gigantic grin across his face as he enthusiastically shakes hands with TV host Mike Tirico. After being congratulated, he jokes, you know, we don't know who we're going to pick yet. Everyone in the room laughs. Gordon Gunn had an assistant who was in the first row holding a bag with the LeBron James Cavs jersey in it. And if they won the lottery, his job was to run up and hand it to him so that they could, <laughs> these are for sale, you know, or that assistant had to take that bag, take it out in the parking lot and essentially burn it because, you know, nobody, if that was known that, that they had done that, then it would have been seen as like a ridiculously arrogant jinx. But ultimately, luck goes Cleveland's way and Cavs fans across Ohio take to the streets to celebrate their lottery win. What do you remember just about the atmosphere in Cleveland when they won the lottery? What was the biggest moment in history of the franchise? It felt like they'd won the biggest thing they'd won in the 35-year history of the team. It's pretty insane when you think about LeBron's career, which is now beyond year 20. All that hype around him, from the time he's a teenager, and he still completely exceeded expectations. Four-time champion, four-time MVP, the most prolific scorer in NBA history, and he's unquestionably the greatest player the Cavaliers have ever had. And the word around the NBA is that the top pick in the 2023 draft could be just as good. Every year we have some guy who's the most hyped guy since LeBron. This guy's more hyped than LeBron, honestly. He's a 19-year-old center from Lucianet, France, named Victor Wembenyama. I spoke with ESPN's Jeremy Wu and Sports Illustrated's Rohan Nankarni. Wu actually went to France to watch Wembenyama play for his pro club, Metropolitans 92, and spent some time learning about him for an SI cover story he wrote. So for our listeners who aren't familiar, who is Victor Wembenyama? Oh, wow, it's a, a broad way to start. I mean... For all intents and purposes, Victor is the most coveted, draftable prospect since LeBron. And he's 7'3", but he has guard skills. I mean, he makes Rudy Gobert look like a, a small forward. You know, he'd be by far kind of the tallest player in the NBA. But then it's like, wait, he can dribble? He can shoot? Like, he can spin? He's so coordinated. My first thought was, if he puts it together, literally, how do you stop someone like this? We've literally never seen a player at his size have his skills. When you see somebody who can get from under the basket to block a three-pointer in the corner in a split second, your brain doesn't quite comprehend it. You say, now, wait a minute. He was just under the basket. How did he block a shot? It's just very hard to describe unless you see it. The hype around Wimbenyama in NBA circles is massive. But because he's an international prospect, he doesn't have quite the same level of name recognition among fans that someone like LeBron or Patrick Ewing had the year before they entered the league. So in October 2022, Wembenyama put his perception to the test when he and Metropolitans 92 traveled to Las Vegas for two G League exhibition games to give Americans their first in-person glimpse at his skills on the court. A lot of people told his agents that they were making a terrible mistake. Um, His parents weren't on board with the decision. They thought he was too much of a risk because he was already going to be the number one pick. 
But just like LeBron two decades earlier, when the spotlight's on him, Wembenyama is somehow better than people thought he'd be. He scores 37 points in his first game in Vegas, showing off a ridiculous array of offensive moves, defensive instincts, and maybe most impressively, long-distance shooting. He makes seven out of 11 three-pointers. And again, he's seven foot three. And the buzz around his skills translates into a very lucrative day. While Brian Windhorst estimates that LeBron's first TV appearance was worth $50 million, Victor Wembanyama's agents think that his performance in those games in October could be worth $100 million to him. What he did in Vegas in October was probably the, the springboard for his global sort of reputation to pick up. I think that's probably where I would say everything is probably multiplied in terms of its, its craziness for him. <laughs> yeah, you wrote like Wemba mania. There's always a mania for somebody, like whatever they blow up. <laughs> There's always a mania. The Detroit Pistons, San Antonio Spurs, and Houston Rockets each entered the 2023 NBA Draft Lottery with the highest odds of landing the number one pick at 14%. And now, the San Antonio Spurs head into the NBA Draft with the chance to select Victor Wembanyama. They've got hope for the future, a reason for fans to be optimistic. Ticket sales and jersey sales are going to go through the roof. And for the teams that tanked but didn't get Wembenyama, they just have to ask themselves, was it worth it? Thanks for listening to Sports History This Week. For moments throughout history that are also worth watching, check your local TV listings to find out what's on the History Channel today. Other notable sports stories that happened this week? 1970. The nation of South Africa is officially banned by the International Olympic Committee for its apartheid policies. And 2008. Candace Parker makes her WNBA debut for the Phoenix Mercury, with a rookie record setting 34 points to go along with 12 rebounds and 8 assists. If you'd like to get in touch, please shoot us an email at sportspod at history.com or leave us a voicemail at 212-351-0410. We'd love to hear from you. Special thanks to our guests, Jake Fisher, senior NBA reporter for Yahoo Sports and author of Built to Lose, How the NBA's Tanking Era Changed the League Forever. Rohan Nodkarni, NBA writer for Sports Illustrated. Brian Windhorst, ESPN NBA insider and author of Return of the King and LeBron Inc., The Making of a Billion Dollar Athlete. Jeremy Wu, NBA draft contributor for ESPN. And Dave Zarum, basketball historian and author of NBA 75. This episode was produced by David Ingber. It was story edited by me, Kalen Jones, and sound designed by Bill Moss. Sports History This Week is also produced by Cooper McKim. Our senior producer is Ben Dickstein. Our associate producers are Emma Fredericks, Hazel May, and Jonah Buchanan. Our supervising producer is McKamey Lynn, and our executive producer is Jesse Katz. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review Sports History This Week wherever you get your podcasts. And we'll see you next week. Copyright 2023 A&E Television Networks, LLC. All rights reserved.